be respectful and listen to the word. Whatever you put into it is whatever you'll get out of it. Can I hear an amen? amen. I said, whatever you put into it is whatever you... How many is ready for the word today? All right. So let's go to the Lord. Uh, let's go to the scripture as we remain standing very quickly. Luke chapter 2 and verse number 7. Luke 2 verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there was in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. I want to focus on verse 12. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Lord, add your blessing to the preaching of the word. Open our hearts. And everyone shouted a great big amen. You may be seated. Every year as pastor, I um, am faced with a challenge. That challenge is, is to preach holiday sermons. Sermons on Christmas, sermons on Easter, Mother's Day and Father's Day. Those are classic holidays in the church. And I am every year trying, when I study the scriptures, trying to come up with something spectacular try to come up with something interesting because it's the same story and I don't want to bore you with the same story. So every year I try my hardest to try to dig something out that maybe you haven't seen before. But this year, as I was studying scripture, I relieved a lot of pressure off of myself because I've discovered that it is not my responsibility to impress you. I mean, it was as if the glory of God came into my room. I am not called to impress you. I'm called to be a preacher. And a preacher's responsibility is to preach the same story because the same story has power and the same story is true. And so I'm going to reiterate truth to you. It's not something spectacular. It's not something that you've never heard before. I'm sure most of you are familiar with the Christmas story. I may bring out some points or some sayings or quotes that you haven't heard before, but the essence of the Christmas story is the same. A baby was born in the town of Bethlehem. Angels came out on the Judean hillside to sing happy birthday. Mary, the virgin, his earthly father Joseph, looked on to that Christ child. He is the Messiah, the baby that came into the world to die for the sins of the world. That's a classic story. It's a story that has truth, and it's a story that can change your life if you can open up your heart to it. 
Sometimes I believe we can become too familiar with the story. And if we become too familiar with the story, then I believe that it can lose, it can lose um, our interest. Sometimes if a story becomes so familiar, we're not intrigued by it anymore. And so this morning, I want you to open up your ears and your heart, and I want you to listen because I believe the Holy Spirit wants to reveal some things to you that possibly could change your life if you just don't look at the story as just another story, but you look at the story as God's story being told to us. You see, there's a lot of things in the Christmas story that I want you to see. But I want you to pay attention to verse number 12 of the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2 and verse number 12. I want you to see what is said in verse number 12. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. You see that? You will find a babe wrapped in swallowing clothes, lying in a manger. That's what the angel said. You're going to find this baby, and this baby is going to be a son to you. Now, you ever thought about that? Look at the word son. It's actually the word for supernatural. There is going to be a supernatural sign given to you, and this supernatural sign will be a baby, will be in a manger, and this baby will be wrapped in some cloth. This baby will be wrapped in some clothes. This will be a supernatural sign to you. I want to remind you that sometimes when we look for God, we look for the angels, don't we? When we look for God, we look for some side of, we look for some miraculous event. But sometimes God comes in the ordinary. He comes as a baby wrapped in cloth. That's the supernatural sign. The supernatural sign is not the angel singing on the Judean hillside. That's not the supernatural sign. The supernatural sign is something that's found in the common and the ordinary. A baby wrapped in cloth. That's the supernatural sign. And my friends, sometimes God reveals himself in the ordinary practices and routines of life. Sometimes that's supernatural. This will be a sign to you that you will find a baby. There are three things this morning that I I want you to see from the manger, from the nativity this morning. Number one, I believe that the manger teaches us about the hum humanity of Jesus. Now, what do I mean by that? Jesus is a man. He has flesh and blood. He was born of a woman by the name of Mary, a virgin. The manger, the Christmas story teaches us about the humanity of Jesus, that Jesus is truly a man. He was born as an infant. The Bible says in verse number 12, this will be the supernatural sign to you that you will find a baby. You will find a what? A baby. A babe wrapped in some cloth. This, this teaches us about the humanity of Jesus. In other words, my friends, Jesus Christ came into the world the very same way that you and I came into the world. For nine months, Jesus was protected 
affected by the fluids that was in his mother's womb. For nine months, he developed arms, legs, hands, and feet. For nine months, his mother fed him. For nine months, he received life and nourishment from his mother through the umbilical cord attached to his navel. You see, for nine months, he grew just like you and I grew in our mother's womb. And when Mary's pregnancy was over and it had ran its full course, she gave birth, a natural birth, just like a woman is supposed to, just like a woman back in the day did, a natural birth. I'm not sure if there was a midwife there, but she gave forth a natural birth. It was painful. I know that we sing, it's a silent night, but I'm not sure how silent it was. Here, this woman is in pain. She's given forth, she's given birth to an actual baby. She's pushing the baby forth through the birth canal. It's painful. I'm sure she lifted her voice a little bit. I mean, the manger teaches us that it is a live birth. It's a real baby. The manger teaches us about the humanity of Jesus, that he is actually a living human man. Sometimes, if we're not careful, especially in Christianity, we want to exalt the deity of Jesus and de-emphasize the humanity of Jesus. We want to say that Jesus is so much God that he's not man at all. But that is heresy. That's not what the church has taught for 2,000 years. The church has taught for 2,000 years that Jesus is truly human and he is truly divine. He is not half man and half God. He is not 50% man and 50% God. He is 100% God and 100% man. Two natures being joined together in one person. He is the God-man. Jesus is not 50% man and 50% God. I'm going to reiterate this. He is 100% man. He has all the, he has all 10 uh, toes. He has all 10 fingers. He has eyes. He has a heart. He has a natural body. He went to the bathroom just like you and I did. He was a fully developed man. He grew in his mother's womb. The manger teaches us about the humanity of Jesus. He was born just like you and I was born. He was a man. He was a man. Why was he a man? Because he came to sympathize with you. He came to sympathize with your pain. He came to sympathize with your rejection. He came to sympathize with your sicknesses and your diseases. He came to sympathize with your rejection. He understands your plot because because he was a man. He experienced emotions. He experienced hunger. He experienced sleep. He ate food. He laughed. He walked with his disciples. He got tired, just like you and I did. But at the same time, not only is he 100% man, he is also 100% God. He understands our pain. He understands our hurt. He understands our suffering. He understands our issues. He understands our joys. He understands our sadness. He understands our trials. He understands our tribulation. He understands our tears 
and our bitterness because he was a man and he is a man. You see, let me just remind you that not only is he a man, 100% man, but church history and the fathers of church history and the scriptures have always reiterated that not only is he 100% man, but this is a mystery. He is also God at the same time. How can that happen? It's what theologians call the hypostatic union. It is when the human and the divine comes together in one person. How can Mary, who is a virgin, have a baby who is 100% man and 100% God at the same time? My mind cannot comprehend it. I don't understand everything about it. It is a mystery. It is, it is a mystery how God can be born of a virgin and have human flesh and yet still be God. It's a mystery. But the scripture says it's true. And it's something that we believe and hold to be orthodox, that he is God and man. As man, Jesus can get hungry. and multi As man, he can get hungry. But as God, he can multiply the loaf and the fish. As man, Jesus sleeps on the boat. But as God, he can, he can calm the winds and the waves. As man, he weeps at the tomb of Lazarus. But as God, he causes the dead body to get up and walk again. As man, Jesus dies on the cross. But as God, he resurrects himself on the third day, singing, there ain't no grave going to hold my body down. Jesus is 100% man and he's 100% God. Is there anybody in this church that still holds to the orthodox teaching that Jesus is God and Jesus is man at the same time. Most religions this morning will deny Jesus's divinity. They will deny that Jesus is God and they will accept his humanity. Jews today, Judaism cannot accept Christianity. You know why they can't accept Christianity? Because in their mind, God could never become a man. They reject his deity and say that he is a prophet. They accept his humanity and reject his deity. Muslims, which is one of the fastest grown religions in the world, they claim that Jesus is a prophet. They also claim in their holy book, Quran, that Mary was a virgin when Jesus was born, but yet they still deny that Jesus is God. They deny his deity. Hinduism will say that Jesus possibly could be a human. Jesus possibly could be God. They don't have a problem with that, but Jesus is one of 33 million other gods that they worship and that they serve. Do you see what I'm saying, my friends? Religions of the world will either accept his humanity and say Jesus is a human, he's a good man, a good prophet, and they will reject that Jesus is God. And there are other religions that will exalt Jesus' deity and say Jesus is all God and he's not man at all. But it's a perfectly balanced theology this morning. Jesus is God and Jesus is man all wrapped up in one person. Why was Jesus born of a virgin? Because every person who is born into the world is born into sin. You are in, you were, when you were born, you were born into sin. 
That's why you don't have to teach a baby to lie, steal, and cheat. Because that baby, when that baby, that you, you have to teach a baby not to cheat and not to lie and to be good and be respectful to their parents. Because our nature is to be sinful. That's why we've got to be born again. And Jesus could not be born through a sexual union between Mary and Joseph because if he was born through a sexual union between Mary and Joseph, he would inherited the sin nature that's passed to all of humanity. So therefore, Jesus, when he was born, he missed the bloodline of humanity and the blood that he had was blood from his father, incorruptible blood, blood that was able to save you and I. Jesus had to be born of a virgin. I'm not sure if Mary understood that night when Mary gave birth to that baby and she pushed that baby out of her birth canal and lifted the baby up. I'm not sure if she realized that she was holding the God of the universe. I'm not sure if she realized that she was holding the Rose of Sharon. I'm not sure if she realized that she was holding the Ancient of Days and the Great I Am. I'm not sure if she realized that what she was holding that day was the God that flung the, the universe out unto nothing. That she was holding the ever-living Redeemer. She was holding wisdom right in front of her eyes. She was holding God's evangelist. She was holding the justifier. She was holding the Son of God. She was holding the Redeemer of the curse of the law. She was holding the Son of the highest. She was holding the faithful pastor and the bishop of our souls. She was holding the great physician, the great healer of the nations. She was holding the Messiah and the wonder worker and the Son of God and the Holy Ghost. She was not only holding a baby, but she was holding God, the great I am, into her arms. I'm telling you, he is not only God, but he is man. It's the hymn that we sang this morning. What child is this? What child is this who is sleeping on her lap? Whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping. What child is this? What child is this? Is he a human? Is he God? Is he some sort of mystical being? Is he a product of mythology, of Roman theology, that Zeus came down and had sex with a woman and somehow he's a God child? What kind of child is this? For centuries, Christians have wrestled over who is Jesus. If Jesus is God, then the Father is not God. If Jesus is God, then there is only, there's two gods. We have wrestled over this issue for centuries. You don't wrestle over it. You come to church and you expect me to be trained and you expect me to know theology and you expect me to teach you right. But let me just remind you in church history, they have argued over who is Jesus. They've argued over who is Jesus's nature. How can Jesus be God and human at the same time? How can the fetus in the womb of Mary be divine and God and yet human at the same time? And after all my years of preaching, I want to let you all know, I still don't understand it. It's a mystery to me, but I still believe that it's true. 
true that on the night that he was born, it wasn't just a baby. It was the God of the universe. And I'll preach it until the day I die. He is 100% man and he's 100% God. Is there anybody in the building that holds the truth that I still believe that he's God and man? The manger teaches us about the humanity of Jesus. Number two, it teaches us about the helplessness of Jesus. You will find a babe. His humanity wrapped in cloths. One translation says bands of cloth. You see, the manger teaches us about not only the humanity of Jesus, but the helplessness of Jesus. Most babies that were born in the Middle East were not born in a hospital. They wasn't born in a very sterile place, a very clean place. Immediately when a baby was born, usually there was a midwife there that would take the baby and immediately bath the baby and wrap the baby in bands of cloth. The baby usually looked like a mummy. Jesus, who was laying in this stable, was probably not what he looked like 2,000 years ago. The scripture says he had bands of cloth. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. You see, they would wrap the baby real tight for several reasons. They would wrap the baby real tight because the baby sometimes would injure him or herself by scratching their face. That's why sometimes we put little gloves on our babies now. So it was a way to protect the baby. Number two, they also would wrap the baby because it was something, it was clean. It would usually save the baby's life because it, babies were born in environments that wasn't very clean. So after the baby was washed, they, they would preserve and they would put uh, maybe some uh, uh, perfume on the baby and they would wrap the baby. Now, some commentaries say that the baby was wrapped like a mummy, really, really tight. Other commentaries say that the baby was actually, each limb was wrapped. It doesn't really matter how the baby was wrapped. We just know that the baby was wrapped. The baby was wrapped to keep the baby safe the baby was wrapped to keep the baby safe from diseases. This was a way to keep the baby healthy, was to wrap the baby. Because there was no hospitals, there's no birthing rooms, no doctors, no nurses. There was no equipment to monitor the pregnancy of Mary. In those days, the environment was very dirty, it was very unhealthy. And so they did the very best they knew how to do to take care of babies back then. It is estimated that most babies didn't make it because of the environment. But you see, this will be a sign to you that God is going to appear in the ordinary. He's going to be a human. He's going to be a baby. And he's also going to be wrapped in bands of cloth. You see, the third thing of why they would wrap a baby is to keep it warm to protect it, to bring safety because of the environment, and to keep it warm. You see, Mary and Joseph were good parents. They took their responsibility as parents, and they wrapped the baby. You see, they wrapped the baby because it teaches us today that Jesus was in a helpless state. He was helpless, but he chose to be helpless. He chose it. This was his destiny. He chose to be wrapped in cloth. 
33 years later, Christ would stand before the Jewish authorities. He would be bound hand and foot. Jesus was helpless, but he chose to be bound. He chose to be helpless. 33 years later, Jesus is praying in the tomb. Jesus is praying at the garden. His sweat became great drops of blood. He chose to be helpless. Christ was whipped with a cat of nine tails. He chose to be helpless. He could have called on a legion of angels to deliver him from the crucifixion, but he chose to go the road of helplessness. Christ was helpless. He was led astray to be crucified. They put a crown of thorns on his head and a purple robe around his neck. He couldn't help himself, but he chose. He chose it to demonstrate to you and I that sometimes the road to suffering leads to a road of resurrection. That suffering is not the end of the story. It's only a comma, not a period in the chapter of your life. And after Jesus was dead, what happened? Two people. It wasn't Mary and Joseph this time. But when they took his body down from the cross, the Bible says there was a man by the name of Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. And what did they do? They wrapped his body in cloth. And what did they do to that helpless body? They put it in a tomb. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the first time that the Savior was born, he was born. He was conceived in the womb. He was wrapped in cloth and laid in a feeding trough in a manger, which is a cave. And when he died, he died the same way. They put him in a cave, not to be born, but to die. They didn't wrap his body to be born now, but now they wrap his body to die. Oh, angels came out the first time and sang glory to God in the highest. But the second time, no angels came out, just a few women who were mourning his death. Oh, he was wrapped when he was born, and he was wrapped when he died. Why does the story teach us that he had to be wrapped? Do you know why the story teaches us that he had to be wrapped? Because I find myself in life. Sometimes I'm wrapped by my own insecurities. I'm wrapped by my own pain. I'm wrapped by my own mind. I'm wrapped by my own rejection. I'm wrapped by my own brokenness. And it teaches us that no matter what has you wrapped, you can be unwrapped and flourish for the kingdom of God. The wrapping was only temporary. He was wrapped to be unwrapped. Just like your Christmas presents on Sunday morning, they were wrapped to be unwrapped. And I want to let you know, folks, that whatever the enemy has wrapped you with, I want to let you know you can be unwrapped this morning by the grace of God.
Lastly, the manger teaches us about the humility of Jesus. And this will be a sign to you. You shall find a babe, humanity, a man, lying in a manger. He was helpless. Lying in a manger. Lying in a manger, not only was he helpless, but think about that phrase. <clears throat> it shows the humility of Jesus. I mean, for the king of the universe, I want you to picture this with me. Jesus, Jesus the Messiah was a name given to Mary by the angel. I'm not sure if that was his name before he, ex before he came to planet Earth, but that was the name that the angel gave to his mother. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus pre-existed his birth. In other words, Jesus was in the glory of heaven. Jesus was in the praise of heaven. Can you imagine Jesus being worshipped and glorified before he came to earth? And when he came to earth, he wasn't greeted by servants. He wasn't greeted by kings of the wor world. He was greeted by shepherds. He was laying in a feeding trough. You mean to tell me the king of the universe is laying in a feeding trough? That's what exactly what I'm saying. Jesus stepped out of the exalted throne in heaven to lay in a lowly manger. Jesus stepped out of his royal robe and stripped on swaddling clothes. He left the worship of the heavenly host to lay in a feeding trough filled with the stink of animals. He left the fragrance of incense of heaven to the stench of a stable. This doesn't make sense, folks. The story don't make sense. How can the God of the universe who was exalted in praise and glory of the heavens come down to a lowly manger? How can he take off the royal robes, his kingly robe, and step into some swaddling clothes? How can he leave the worship of the heavenly host who cries, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of power and might and be laid in a feeding trough with the stench of a stable? It doesn't make sense. The God who was high is the God who came down. The God who is high is the God who was made low. The manger teaches us about the humility of Jesus. He was humble. He gave himself for the world. You see, first century feeding troughs was nothing to be celebrated. A feeding trough in the, the first century when Jesus was born 2,000 years ago was primarily a hollowed-out cave on the hillside. A manger was a feeding trough. A hollowed-out cave in the hills of Judea. You find the greatest story ever. And can I tell you something? The day that she gave birth, 
to her baby. And the day the angels came out, and shepherds ran with haste, and Joseph looked down to ponder what mystery this could be. And as Mary thought about what could this child be, who is he? Everybody else in Judea was texting on their cell phones. Everybody else in Judea was going to school. They were going to the synagogues to pray the prayers. Everybody else was having their family dinners. Everybody else went to work. But just yonder, just yonder in the Palestinian desert, the greatest story ever known to man was happening. And there was people that missed Christmas because he didn't come the way everybody thought he should come. He didn't come as a ruler. He didn't come. He didn't come with soldiers. He came with shepherds. He didn't come with kings and queens. He came with a virgin. He didn't come with perfume. He came with the stench of a stable. That's why they missed it. And there are people today that's missing Christmas because they're so full of commercialism. Got to buy the latest gift. Got to impress the Joneses. And there are some people that's just Grinches. You can't make them smile if Jesus Christ would come and talk to them. You just couldn't make them smile. And you know why? Because Christmas is not about all that. Christmas is about Christ being born in your heart. And if he isn't born in your heart, you have missed what Christmas is about. I'm telling you today as I close, the manger teaches us about the humanity of Jesus, the helplessness of Jesus, the humanity of Jesus. He was born in a cave, but he also was laid to death in a cave. You see, I thought about Brother Ingo, the Christmas story. And as I close today, one word came to me about the Christmas story. Hope. I think that's what Christmas is about. I think everything I just said, I think that's what it's about. I think it's about hope. I think the Christmas story teaches us that God hasn't given up on us. I think that's, I think I finally got it the other day. He hasn't given up on us. He came to be one of us because he decided, I haven't given up on you. In the Garden of Eden, God walked with us. In the Ark of the Covenant, God protected us. The blood of the lintel and the doorpost of their homes, God preserved us. In the temple of the Old Testament, God sanctified us. In the lion's den, 
God intervened for us in the fiery furnace. God stood with us in the preaching of prophets. God sought after us. But in the Christmas story, God became one of us. And do you know why he came one, became one of us? Because he still believes in us. Despite of all your failures and your heartache and your brokenness and your misery, God still believes in us. And I want to tell you something, Christ's point. It's Christmas. Rejoice. Christ has delivered us from the evil one. He's crushed the head of the serpent. It's Christmas. He has crushed the head of shame and guilt. He has bruised the head of the serpent. Christ has delivered us from the power of sin. He has set us free. It's Christmas. And the greatest tragedy of life is this, my friends. He has not called you to be happy. He's called you to be free. He's called you to be free. It's Christmas. The greatest story ever known to man, Charles Spurgeon said it like this. The scene at Bethlehem is a scene of simplicity. A mother, a father, and a baby. Thus was the word made flesh and dwelt among us. What God does is both simple and clear, and the message to us is simple and clear. Those who come to Christ in simple faith shall find simple peace. Young women should come to Christ, for Mary was a young woman who was an instrument in bringing Christ to the world. Young men should come to Christ, for Joseph was a young man who had great faith in God. Old women should come to Christ, for Anna was an old woman looking for the coming of Christ. And old men should come to Christ, for Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Working men and working women should come to Christ, for shepherds were hardworking. And highly educated men and women should come to Christ, because wise men came to Christ. You see, the Christmas is simple. Christmas is for all of us. Amen.